know, everyone had kind of those dirt lines that come from wearing sandals as, as, as you're going on this journey. Everyone's face was a little bit sun-kissed because it was that time of the year in which no matter where you were from, if, if you believed in God, it was that time to go to the temple. And so whether you were from the north, south, east, or west, everyone, these packs, these droves of people, they would head to the center. They would head to the city to visit the royal priesthood. To see that, that guy from the, from the lineage of Aaron be anointed with oil as he would enter into the temple on behalf of God's people to consecrate them, to bring them together. And they would share in a song, a psalm that would remind each and every one of them that as they all entered the city, they were brought together for one purpose, one purpose only. You see, all people from all regions, all nations, backgrounds, histories, all who claim to worship the one true God, they would head towards him his temple, his throne together. Reminding them that under the name of God, under what he has done before us, under his love, his grace, his mercy, his compassion, that we as a people, whether born into it or whether walked into it, because you have heard that good news that we are together as you pursue the God of the universe. I want to welcome you to our final week in our study through the book of Psalms. This is week five, and we're going to wrap up this series by leaning into Psalm 133. So if you have your Bible, I invite you to turn with me to Psalm 133 this morning. It's just three short, simple verses that are so beautiful, so powerful. I think the spirit is going to be doing something pretty rad for us this morning. So as you turn there, I want to remind you, we've been saying this every single week throughout this series of the Psalms, trying to help anyone and everyone that as you, at some point in your life, read a Psalm, hear a Psalm, repeat a Psalm, recite a Psalm, that you're reminded of their purpose and their intent. And it's this about Psalms is that Psalms are the expression of the heart of God's people to God, people yearning, people uh, praising, people lamenting, people sharing wisdom. But at the same time too, it's also the expression of God's heart to his people. That as people's hearts break, God is almost in the same way saying, yeah, yeah, my heart breaks with you. As people praise God, this guy's saying, well, yeah, I'm the God of the universe. Only thing worthy of your praise. So let me tell you this morning, that as we turn to Psalm 133, it's about one simple thing. It's the idea of unity, of togetherness, of being brought no matter where you are, where you're from, your background, ethnicity, beliefs, any of that, that we are all unified because of the love of God. Now, the historical context of this Psalms is that the people of God from all over, they would sing this Psalm together as they would pilgrimage through the valleys, through the mountains, to the city of Jerusalem, once, maybe twice a year to visit the priest, to watch him go before God on their behalf. It's kind of like, uh, you know, in, in Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, where they, were, they got their marching song, right? Hi-ho, hi-ho, it's off to work we go. 
Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like that, but way better, way more powerful, way more beautiful. Look at what verse one, how it starts off reminding us of the power of unity found in the presence of God. Psalm 31 verse one, it begins like this. The psalmist says, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live in unity together, to live together in unity. Now that phrase, how good and pleasant, it's almost like a formula. So whenever you see that in the Psalms, you, you got to expect two things coming up. Number one, that there's going to be this, this thing, this component that's going to bring blessing into the life of people or who live obedient to that word. But there's typically also an illustration that's attached to it. And so here, the, the, the blessing though is very clear. It's very cut and dry. The point of Psalm, 130, of, of Psalm 30, 133 is this, is that unity in the name of Jesus is a blessing both of and from God. Now, what's interesting about the concept of unity is that you have to remind ourselves. They had to be reminding one another as they sang this Psalm together. It was their purpose that united them. Even though they were from different regions, different backgrounds, even different ethnicities. These ancient Jews, whether ethnic or converts to the name of God, they're descending onto this city. Different tribes, backgrounds, all headed in one direction for one purpose. To the temple, to worship God. You know, it's beautiful, really. Because if you search the, the Christian faith, which is rooted in the ancient Jewish faith, you'll see this pursuit of unity come up over and over and over again. Pilgrimages like these that brought people together under one roof. That the multiple feasts throughout the year, there was their times to remember their common heritage of how they had been rescued out of the bondage of Egypt. Not to mention the laws and then the regulations to care for widows, for orphans, for refugees. It truly set them apart to be a people that were brought together by the love of God. You see what Psalm 133 is really doing is just reminding hopefully all of us that unity is a pursuit of God's people. From day one to us today, unity is a pursuit for those of us who claim to belong to the kingdom of God. Now the foundation of that unity though is, is really what's important. You see, I don't really have to spend any time to convince you that, that almost anything and everything said this day and age, maybe even recently, can be pretty divisive. But what the psalmist is trying to lead us to understand is that Yahweh, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, not only wants unity from us, but that he is the true source and point of that unity as well. And so the psalmist then is going to give us two illustrations here about what unity looks like, feels like, how it interacts with us in our lives. Picking up in verse two, the psalmist continues. Talking about unity, the blessing that it is. He says, it is like the precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his rope. Now there's two interesting things that come up. We see oil and we see Aaron. Now we're not talking about Aaron Hayes here, being doused in canola oil, you're going through his beard, but you know, between you and me, honestly, I think he would look pretty good with a beard, don't you? 
But, you know, both of these terms remind us of the priesthood. There was the tribe of Aaron who were set aside, the specific people. You are the people who together you will, you will go on behalf of everyone else, the people of God to God in the temple. But before you do that, you must be made holy. You must be consecrated with oil. And so when the psalmist says that there is unity that is like oil, he's starting to say that there's a unity that comes from the priesthood of those in God. You know, this idea of priesthood takes a pretty massive shift. You see, in the Old Testament, it belonged to a certain group of people, the Levites, the people who came uh, descendants of, of Aaron. But then because of Jesus, because of his life, his death, his resurrection, the apostle Peter reminds us that, that because of his spirit living in us, we've all been made holy. We've all had that oil, so to speak, poured upon us because we now can go on behalf to God because of Jesus's work. This is what, what Peter says is sometimes referred to as the priesthood of all believers in first Peter chapter two. He says, but you are a chosen people talking to anyone who chooses to believe in the name of Jesus, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession it continues in verse 10 when it says that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You see the Aaron's, the priests of that age were the ones who would go on behalf of the people to God in the temple behind the Holy of Holies saying, God, we need your mercy. We need your grace. We need your love. But now because of Jesus, we all get to be like an Aaron and we get to receive that mercy and share it with others. See this oil though, it was a special oil just for them. It wasn't a vegetable oil that you would use to, to maybe make a funnel cake. It wasn't that 5W30 that you're putting into your Toyota Camry. It wasn't an essential oil that, you know, none of us really know how they work, right? Rather, it was reserved for the great high priests serving prior to their meeting with God. But this oil always represented that what the priests were about to do were to unify people together as they were to be unified with God yet again, because of his mercy. Let me break it down this way that we pursue unity by pursuing God together. Unity is something that's so important to God. It should be important to us, but the priests, the Aaron's, they never went to God just for themselves. They did it together with the whole nation of Israel, the people of God, because unity cannot be done alone. You see a priest cannot go before God without that oil to receive that blessing on behalf of the people and the people we needed the priests to unify us with God. In some way, the psalmist is saying that we cannot receive the blessing of unity without the consecration of a priest we now know that to be Jesus and going at it together. It's interesting though, because it talks about this oil. Think about this. It wasn't like a, like a dash of oil. It wasn't like someone just poured a little drop. It was an overflow that covered the hair, the beard, the robes. It was just, it was almost like too much oil. 
It was like the priest got, the, 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 they were getting ready to see God and they were like, all right, dude, oil me up. Let's do this. I'm ready to go. And it's like, okay, no, 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 no. Just keep going. Keep going. Don't make me ready. Don't make me doubly ready. Make me triply ready. Like he's not just ready to see God. He's ready to go before God with that much oil. A priest would have been seen covered from head to toe in oil. They would have been like, dude, this is a little excessive. This is a waste. Like, like we, we, we get it. Okay. You're, you're holy now. Like we, we, we get what, what you're trying to show us here. Can't help but think, man, what, what if, just what if, what if, what if that's people's response to us as a church, as Christians, like, Hey, Hey, hey we get it. You guys have differing opinions. You guys, they don't all come from the same place, but you're unified under the name of Jesus. We get it. Like you guys are all about unity. You worship the same God. You're able to put your differences, your opinions, your views. You're able to put all of that aside under the name of Jesus. We get it. Okay. It's so obvious. It's so apparent that unity is important. We get it. What if that was the conversation that we saw and we heard was, it was just so apparent that you Christians, that you, the church, the unity is something that, that is just foundational to who you are as a people. That's the question I found myself asking in Psalm 133. Can we say or claim that unity, the oil of the priesthood of all believers covers us from head to toe? You see, for the ancient Jews, unity would have meant less about race more about the region you are from, the familial ties and those sorts of things. But for us today, it certainly includes things like race, political views, how or where people grew up. You see, it's, it's easier to dislike people we don't agree with than to seek to understand. It's far easier to forget people who have hurt us than choose to be unified and to forgive them. It's easier for us to disregard our wounds than to pursue healing with others. But it's the way of Christ to extend love and mercy to others and ourselves every single time. See, it's possible to get it wrong even when you're right. If you lack love, if you lack unity. You see, if God is your pursuit, if God is our pursuit, if Jesus is in our lives as followers and disciples, then unity must be at the forefront of our minds. It must cover us from head to toe, just like that priest. But wait, there's more. There's another illustration that the psalmist used to describe the blessing of unity in our life. Verse three, the final verse for us this morning says this. It says that the, the, the unity, the blessing of it, it is as if the dew of Hermon, which is a mountain, were falling on Mount Zion. For there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. So again, this unity, which is a blessing, it's compared to dew, to condensation, uh, precipitation on Mount Hermon. And notice that it is overflowing. It's going from one mountain down to the other, to the next. And it is just kind of just nonstop. It's a stream. It's a river. Now, I'm not a meteorologist myself, but, but dew that can be so much that it creates a stream or a river 
is, is a lot of do, right? Like there's just a lot of it there. And so, so what the psalmist is doing, he's actually referring back to those, those, those Jews who are on this pilgrimage. Imagine you're in the middle of the summer, you're trying to get to Jerusalem and you're thirsty. It's been months since a, since a drop of rain has even fallen from the sky. But you know that if you go to that mountain, that it will be there. You will be able to taste this, this livid, lush, crisp, refreshing water. At 10,000 feet above sea level, that they do, it's sustained life year round. So imagine, it's the summer months, but you could always count on the refreshing taste of natural spring water being there. Do you, do you have a, a, a dew of life? Like, do you, do you just have that thing that it's been a long day? Hey, you've, you've been outside mowing the lawn or, or pulling weeds or, or chopping down some tree branches. Do you have that thing where it just makes the day better? You see, for, for, for me, it literally is dew. But it's, a, it's the best kind of dew. It's, it's Baja Blast, the greatest nectar that God has ever bestowed to us on this earth. Now, thankfully... Taco Bell has stopped kind of being so selfish and has let the rest of the world kind of enjoy it while not at Taco Bell. But here's the thing. This do is literally the do of my life. When, when, when it's a hot day, the one thing that I want to do after mowing the lawn or being outside or on a walk or I'm sweaty and I'm just sticky, the one thing that just satisfies and refreshes me more than anything else is going to my fridge, grabbing the do, Hearing that noise. Ah, yes. I'm taking a sip. It's refreshing. This is what the psalmist is kind of trying to say about unity. It's a blessing that's so refreshing, but it is so constant, like a stream, that it's always going to be there. What he's saying is that the unity is a blessing that you can count on. That whenever you choose to pursue unity with another person, whenever you choose to pursue unity with your God, with your church, with people in your family, it is always going to be refreshing. It's always going to be a blessing to your life and to your soul, to your faith and to the kingdom of God around you. You know, I could tell you that the relationships and the conversations and the worship services that I have been a part of in which unity was on display have been some of the most refreshing things to my walk with God. There's times in which uh, I've talked to a war veteran, tell me about his sacrifice and his service, about how it's given us religious freedoms and liberties in this country. Recently, I've been able to have conversations with some of my black friends about their experiences just because of the color of their skin and be able to understand what it's like to be them. When we get to sing praises with couples who I know just a few weeks prior, maybe a month ago, were on the edge of getting divorced, but now they hold hands together and worship because of how God has moved in their life. There's times which I've watched someone who I knew about one week ago was choosing to end their life. But instead I now see them kneeling at the communion table before God, 
There was that one Sunday morning at the back row of Urbana in which there was a college student sitting next to a homeless guy, sitting next to a grandma, all worshiping the same God to the same music, to the same tune. It's like that family of four who decided to add a fifth because no one else wanted to care for him. Guys, this is the stuff. This is the do. This is the blessing, the refreshing power of unity. I think this is the stuff that God has in mind when we read verse one of this idea of the blessing of unity. Well, let's read it again real quick. Verse one of Psalm 133, it says, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live, live together in unity. Pay attention to here. He says, when we live together in unity, he doesn't say that that, that, that one moment in which we were unified, There was that time we had that one worship service where we talked about unity. There was that event we did that kind of brought people together. You know, there's that post that we put out that hopefully, you know, a lot of people were able to nod or as he said, no, no, how blessed is it when we live together in unity. But what I know to be true And what you probably know to be true is that it takes work to live with others. Doesn't it like, like, like this is the best part and the worst part about marriage. The best part is that when you go home, there's always someone at your house using your stuff and sharing your food. The worst part about marriage is that when you go home, there's always someone at your house using your stuff, sharing your food. It takes work work and effort and intentionality to live together unified. But it is so good and pleasant and refreshing when it happens. Jesus even spoke about the power of unity. In Mark chapter three, he addresses a crowd by, by kind of telling them this. Talking about how important unity is in the life of faith and the believer. In Mark chapter 3, verses 23 through 26, it says this. So Jesus called them over to him and began to speak in parables. How can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand. His end has come. Church, when unity is at stake in our midst, in our congregation, in the little C church, the big C church, and fellow members and congregates, even in your group, when unity is at stake, Satan's rubbing his hands together. He's smiling. He's smirking. He's laughing because he knows he's starting to gain a foothold. He's starting to, to weasel his way in. We live in a world, a culture, society in which polarization is, is just almost expected. That if you don't agree with me wholly, then, then you must disagree with me completely. And therefore I get to cancel you. That's no way to live unified. We can't 
be living unified under the name of Jesus. If that's the perspective, if that's the approach we take that our battle is spiritual battle, but it's being fought in the physical realm. So here's my question for all of us this morning is what if we fought for unity more so than our side or opinion on matters? I was a little convicted of this, you know, because uh, I'm an eight on the Enneagram. And so if you know anything about eights and Enneagrams, you know that, that we always think we're right and that we make everything a passionate fight because that's just kind of who we have this zealousy, this passion that we have a hard time controlling at times. I'm not asking you to check your brain at the door. <laughs> In some ways, I'm not even asking you to change some of your opinions, but what I am doing What I most certainly am doing is imploring you, encouraging you by the wisdom and the power of God, the words of Jesus to pursue and fight for unity. It's not until we can see unity as a part of our purpose that consecrates us as we go before God, that we can find it refreshing and we will actually begin to celebrate. Would you rather, I want you to think about this. Would you rather, would you rather be unified or right in a conversation? No, 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 no. I get it. You're thinking, but, 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 but Eric, how can I, how can I be unified with those people? You know, those people that when we talk about that thing, that subject, that stance, how can I be unified with those people, Eric? I don't know if I can do it. They're just, they just, you know, they just made mistakes. They've got weird opinions, beliefs. Uh, just how can I, I can be unified with the people who, who I agree with, but what about those people? <laughs> what, if, what if that was God's approach to us though? Wait, wait, what's up Trinity? We, we need to be unified with those people down there who made those decisions, who had those choices, those lousy, sinful, wretched people. We need to find a way to be unified. We're going to give up one of our own to welcome those into our house. You see, unity isn't about okaying sin. It's not about saying, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay for you to live like that, think like that, whatever. It's not about that. Unity is about coming together, being covered by the grace of God, living under truth and love. It's about seeking to listen more than speaking. It's about educating ourselves to understand one another better. It's about coming together Rather than throwing rocks from the other side of the fence, it's about learning about people from different races, regions, beliefs, views, agendas. Because we all need the loving truth of God and the graceful mercy work of Jesus. See, the Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 6, he gives us a verse after talking about the fruit of the spirit of how to pursue unity together. This is what Paul says in imploring Christians to fight for unity. He says this, he says, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the spirit should restore that person 
gently. But watch yourselves, or you may also be tempted. You get that? It's not okaying sin, but he's saying we're in this together. Unity comes from gently pursuing conversation, relationship with one another. When it comes down to it, Psalm 133 is giving us this beautiful picture of a call for all of us as Christians. And it's this, is that unity is walking towards God together. Whether from the north, the south, the east, or the west. Whether it was the dew of life that we get to experience, whether it was the oil that we see from those around us. Unity is not saying, you come meet me on my side. Rather, it's let's go meet at the temple to worship our God. That is the unity that we are called to pursue as disciples of Jesus. So as we move to our time of response this morning, we want to invite you to continue to worship with us. You know, we are worshiping together in unity, even though we are not in the same room together, we're able to still say we are unified together. We are still going to God together this morning under his name, under the work of Jesus, by the power of his spirit moving in us and through us. And so I want to just give you a few ways that you can respond this morning to this news, to this message, to this call of unity. The first thing is that if you want to be unified with us here at first, if you want to be on mission with us, if you want to pursue God along with your brothers or sisters here at first, we would invite you to consider being a part of our mission by donating and giving your tithes and offerings to our church. The best way, the safest way, the most secure way to do this is by downloading the Give app, G-Y-V-E, where you can select a location that you would predominantly attend as well as an amount that you would like to give to show that you are in unity with God, with his spirit, and with us here at First Christian Church. One of the other things though, that we do every single week to pursue unity together as a body is to remind ourselves why we're here in the first place. What, what unifies us to begin with? It's one thing, one person, one view, one truth only. And that is the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus. So in this moment, I want to invite all of us, wherever you're watching, wherever you're tuning in, that may we all remember the work of Jesus on the cross. That Jesus in his last night with his disciples, he took a piece of bread. He broke that bread and said, do this in remembrance of me. This is my body broken for you. Take and eat. And afterwards, Jesus, he, he held up the cup, the juice, and he said, this is my blood spilt for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Take and drink. It was Jesus's body, Jesus's blood, broken for us, shed for us, spilt for us, that unifies us to God, unifies us as the church, and unifies us with one another.
Would you continue to worship with us as we pursue unity together as the body of Christ?